0: Please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
1: When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key.
2: Ho ho! And welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 109. This episode, BGA's 2016 Shopping Guide. We'd like to thank Santa for bringing us all those board games way back when, even before it was cool.
0: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.
2: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And the Christmas crickets that you hear play in the background are because the rest of our crew can't make it this week. Drew is continues to be off on his acting career, will join us back in the new year. Daniel is away with his family, where, so for some reason, and I didn't know this actually exists, he's in a place without internet. I know, it's crazy. I didn't know these things exist. I thought they were just mythology. But nonetheless, he's off with his family and friends, and he's celebrating the holiday season. Anthony's not joining us this week either. Uh, turns out that him and his children have the flu this week, so they won't be able to join us. But nonetheless, we wanted to bring you a great episode because it's a very important time of the year. And by that, I'm not just talking about the holiday season, but I'm talking about the shopping season. Anyone who's into games know that this time of year is where you get the best deals online at your local friendly game store and, you know, even Barnes and & Noble and Amazon.com come through with some great deals. So we put together what we believe would be Santa Claus's top 25 games list, games that you should keep an eye out for as the holiday season progresses so that you can pick out the best games for the best deals. So as we go through this episode, please join me so I won't be on a solo cast like Anthony does and that we can talk about all of these great games together. So with that said, let's get on to the episode. Shout it from the tabletops! (laughs) Sir, you're gonna need to get down from there. Hey, thanks for joining me around the table. So let's talk about everything in board gaming that's going on in the news right now. One of the things that Drew loves talking about is the Toy Hall of Fame. Now, you may remember the Toy Hall of Fame as inducting such masterpieces as The Stick and The Ball and some other things too, nonetheless, but recently their newest inductees counted amongst them something that's very near and dear to all of our hearts, and that would be Dungeons and Dragons. Now, if you're on the younger side, you may not understand how huge this actually is, Way back in the day, probably in the early 80s, there was a movie called Mazes and Monsters. This was Tom Hanks' kind of professional film debut in which it told this story of a couple of friends playing Dungeons & Dragons together and then one of them going insane. And in this case, it was Tom Hanks. And it frightened the public so much that there was this backlash against D&D as being this kind of really evil, consuming, seductive form of gameplay that would ruin your children. Yep. So that was a thing. Now, it wasn't just a thing about in the case of that movie, it was a pretty big thing across the United States and some other places in the world. And families and school systems and churches were there telling people not to play D&D. Now, if you've ever played D&D, you know that all that kind of scary stuff, if there is any kind of scary stuff, is really boiled down to a sheet of graph paper, a couple of D20s, and maybe a a couple pewter miniatures. Just by the fact that Dungeons & Dragons could be accepted into the Toy Hall of Fame really gives legitimacy to a lot of the games that we've been playing for so many years. And not just D&D and RPGs, but board gaming in general. You know, in particular, as a tool in telling a story, in connecting with other people socially... And in a way that it's not darkness and evil, it's storytelling, just like we've been doing since the the dawn of time, and providing adventures, and creative thinking, and just getting a sense of who we are in the world by using this opportunity to imagine ourselves in roles that obviously we would never have, right? I don't think there are many dragons kind of flying around these days, but nonetheless... Dungeons & Dragons has had such a tremendous impact on all levels of gaming, board gaming, video gaming, just LARPing, and just everything that's out there. I mean, look at Game of Thrones. It's one of the biggest television shows out there right now, and it would not even exist if not for Dungeons & Dragons, I believe. It's, It's just an amazing, just incredible situation that we see here. And it's just nice to see D&D getting some legitimacy in the uh, Toy Hall of Fame and, you know, in society in general. All right, so we move from D&D to something else that kind of gives board gaming, and in this case, a little bit heavier board gaming, some more legitimacy in the world. And that has to be Hasbro is unveiling their new edition of Acquire. Now, maybe you haven't played Acquire because it's pretty much been out of print for uh, at least eight years now at this point it was released by Avalon Hill and Hasbro obviously is is now an ownership of this and I've gotten a chance to play Acquire, and I gotta tell you this game looks as boring as can be as abstract as it can be as dry as can be and I've played it twice now and each and every time I really do enjoy it and find it a lot of fun that being said, usually you usually have to drag me to it, but once I'm playing it, I'm really enjoying it. It offers a level of economic competition that you don't see in a lot of games. You know, it's a little random how you get the pieces and the components weren't in great shape, but this is a really fun game and a good entry gateway game for people who haven't played this type of you know purchasing stock, economic market types of game. Now, there has been a cardboard version that's been out there And it was really poor quality. There was also a plastic version which came out many years ago and was highly sought after. And I think at this point, well, at least until this point to this release comes out, I think the game was worth a couple hundred dollars. So what you're going to see with this version is you're going to see that it's going to get some nicer pieces. It's going to get a kind of a facelift overall. But the fact that Hasbro is carrying this game is going to mean that this type of game is going to get into more households, it's going to get into more big box stores, and who knows, maybe one day, you know, instead of people talking about Monopoly, they'll talk about Acquire. I think this is fantastic. I'm always a little cautious when a big company like Hasbro is controlling one of our games, quote-unquote, but nonetheless, if this game can get out to stores and get out to more and more people you got to love that. It's going to be a great thing, and you might see a choir on the shelf. So if you see it in a big box store, pick it up. Another game that's been making its outreach to the larger market is Evolution by Northstar Games. Now, you may remember us talking about Evolution's new version, their first generation, coming out there to Target and getting some you know families to play this great game. Now, while we don't generally like games to be dumbed down, even if it is for a larger market— It's understandable that sometimes some people, especially people who don't typically play board games, need a gateway game to get to a gateway game. And that's what Evolution's been doing. Now, they've stepped it up in this case by bringing it back to a gamer level by offering a new version or a new evolution of Evolution with their tournament kits. Now, this is really exciting because Evolution is definitely one of those games where you really are jockeying for a position. You're attacking other players. You're really growing like a little mini kind of Evolution army. And it really does fit that kind of tournament play. So this tournament kit is going to come with 16 sets of trade cards that are going to be given to all participants, four sets of Night Prowler cards to, for the finalists, and a new T-Rex first player marker for this final winner. Now, I don't technically need these wood pieces or these extra cards, but nonetheless, this would be a lot of fun. And Evolution has hit the table a lot with some of the game groups that I've been at, so I can understand why uh, people are pretty excited about this. And if you're at your local friendly game store and you see a tournament popping up about this, jump in, because I think you're really going to enjoy that. All right, so you know how I like Munchkin. Yes, I know, everyone's kind of upset about that. But nonetheless, I do like Munchkin because... It is one of those games that does bring my family together. It is one of those games that does laugh at our hobby and really give us some really interesting type of comical gameplay that you really don't find anywhere else. And no, Cards Against Humanity, that does not involve you. Stay where you are. Nobody wants to talk to you, okay? Munchkin is fun, all right? Munchkin has a lot of cartoony, fun artwork. And it's it's always nice to build that really interesting comical tableau. Now... It is a gateway game. It is almost the ultimate gateway game for people who like D&D or know at least a little bit about D&D and want to have a little more fun with it. Well, we all know that Munchkin and Steve Jackson Games has done an outstanding job of getting their game pretty much out everywhere. I remember years and years ago seeing Munchkin and Barnes & Noble and going, what is this again? A Munchkin? I've kind of heard about this thing, but I don't understand what it is or why it is. Well, you can kind of get Munchkin at every big box store now. So, what's surprising about this news? Well, it turns out they're going to have an exclusive, quote-unquote, edition of Munchkin, at least the base game. That's going to be that's going to be available at Walmart. So, while Steve Jackson Games has done a great job of getting out to the big box stores, Walmart is the biggest of big box stores, and having another version of Munchkin which I think it now numbers in the thousands will probably get board gamers to go out there to get those couple of extra cards. And yet, at the same time, once again, just like with Evolution, it might get some people to play board gaming because, once again, they might need a gateway step to their gateway steps. So it's good that Walmart's doing this. And it, one day, who knows, we might see all types of board games, maybe even some heavy stuff in these stores. But for right now, yet again, another munchkin out there somewhere in the world that she can pick up if you want those extra cards. For me personally, I'm good right now. But (laughs) Um, even talking about this, you know, I'm reading the card names here. So you have the Gummy Worm, uh, you have Poof the Magic Dragon, and I'm sure some other crazy stuff. Steve Jackson Games is always known for their kind of, parodies and mockery and puns so um, i don't know i think eventually when this comes down to super duper clearance i will pick it up but nonetheless maybe there are some families and kids out there who have never heard of board gaming as a regular hobby and sees this artwork picks it up and now we got a new gamer all right so speaking about board gaming reaching a larger market how about reaching the video game market Now, long before I was into strategy board games, I was into real-time strategy video games. Now, this was your Warcraft, your Starcraft, your Command & Conquer, your Battle for Middle-Earth 1 and 2. I was really heavily involved in those games. It's probably why I like board games so much because to employ a strategy in real-time, that is, if you don't run into AP, it's still kind of real-time. So I got some great news here because... We are going to see a real-time strategy game in the Scythe universe. Now, you may remember us kind of going over and over again about this outstanding artwork in Scythe and talking about its Kickstarter. And I even picked up the Art Connoisseurs version of Scythe that comes with a beautiful art book that goes along with this fantastic, you know, alternate 1920s, 1930s version of the world where you have these massive mechs kind of walking in I guess would be a version of Europe, it's kind of hard to tell from the map there, but wow, it's outstanding artwork, outstanding board game, and now we're going to see a real-time strategy games from King Art Games. Now, the name of this game is called Iron Harvest. Now, this game is going to be a little different because they they're promising a dynamic storyline and open sandbox style levels. Which kind of worries me, because that's not typically an RTS, and I gotta be honest with you, I've played so many different RTSs over the years, that once in a while, you do get a rare gem that's not kind of like the 18th version of an RTS you've already played, but sometimes you just get a so-so RTS, like with Game of Thrones had one not too long ago, which is, that had the artwork thrown on there, I'm... You know, I'm optimistic here. I'm really hoping that this RTS is amazing. It looks good, but we're going back to the artwork that we know and love so much. Now, this RTS is going to be on the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, the PC, which I would recommend playing it if it is a real RTS because you're going to need your mouse and you're going to need your keyboard. But nonetheless, you can go online right now, look up Iron Harvest. They have a Facebook page, and it looks pretty wicked. I got to be honest with you. So, I'm not too sure when exactly this is going to come out. They're still talking about development very much. But the artwork is so evocative that I think that they can easily put together a great game. And I'm really looking forward to this. So I think with our Around the Table, this week at least, we're talking about board gaming hitting so many different open markets that, I don't know, maybe one day everyone's going to have this addiction. All right, now, I've been doing all the talking on this episode, and it's supposed to be you and me talking back and forth. All right, to be fair, if you're not here at the table with me, then you're going to have to find another way to reach back out to Board Gamers Anonymous. So you really want to check out our social media platforms. Facebook is a great place because when you like us there, you get access to all the content that Anthony puts up. There's always a question of the day, and our listeners are always interacting, talking to each other about the greatest in gaming. Now, maybe you're not a Facebook fan, but maybe you are into Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Daniel is always volunteering Anthony to put up new Twitter information, new news, contests, and information that you can learn about board gaming. Now, if that's not your thing and you're old school, maybe you want to go to our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. You can listen to all of the BJ8 episodes Anthony's new solo podcast, Table for One, and my old podcast, Kickin' the Habit, where we talked about Kickstarter. It's actually a really fun way to look back and see if I got it right or wrong. Plus, there's articles up there. There's blog posts up there. There is our top 50 list of all time. There's just a tremendous amount of information. If you're not checking out our website, you're missing like 90% of all the great content that we put out there. Now, we also have a guild on Board Game Geek. We really would like to grow that guild and let more board gamers know about all the fun that's happening out in the BGA universe and in particular for the holiday season. If you do have a dollar to spare and you love Board Gamers Anonymous and want us to produce more content out there, then check out our Patreon account. A dollar a month goes a long way to help supporting us and putting Board Gamers Anonymous out there in the field. Oh, and finally, don't forget our YouTube channel. Anthony's always posting our Board Gamers Anonymous and Table for One podcast on that channel, not to mention videos and board game reviews. The more subscribes we get on YouTube, the more content we'll put out there. All right? So now I expect to hear back from you really soon. And now... Our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion and the promos and, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion. All right. So since you and I are alone here for this podcast, I want to talk to you about our acquisition disorders. Now, typically when people hear about acquisition disorders, they kind of laugh it off. Oh, my goodness. Someone loves board gaming so much that they feel addicted to it. That's crazy. Why would they purchase these things that are so expensive and so huge and they would have to storage units and then card sleeves and then they have to box everything up in Plano boxes or buy these special wood crates that they have to put together. That's insane. Nobody has that type of addiction. Okay. <laughs> Well, I am now about to give you three games that are on my acquisition disorder and they have caused some problems here. Now, the fun thing about our acquisition disorders is the obsessiveness that comes with wanting to get this perfect game at the table and getting all of the fun components that come along with it, making it look great, making it feel great to play and protecting it as best as possible. Now, these three games have caused me nothing but trouble for different reasons. So, starting off with Terraforming Mars, this was a game that I recently picked up at Gen Con, and we talked about it somewhat. I've gotten a basic playthrough of the game in. Anthony's gotten several through and really enjoys the game, and he's talked about this previously. Now, I was actually the one that picked up this game for Anthony and I at Gen Con, We got into Gen Con on the first day an hour early. This was kind of a press slash VIPs are able to kind of get in early, purchase a couple of games, talk to some publishers and designers. It's really a nice opportunity to get these games because if we don't, then we really don't have anything to talk about on the podcast. So it becomes a little bit awkward. Like, hey, we just picked up Munchkin again. Yeah, just again. So, one of the first trips I made was over to pick up Terraforming Mars. Now, this was not a cheap game. This was actually $70 full retail. So, I picked up two copies, one for myself and one for Anthony, because this podcast has become extremely expensive since everyone moved to different directions because now we really can't play games together. So, we have to play them separately, which means we need separate copies of the game, which, once again, makes everything really expensive. So I ran over there, heard great things about the game for Terraforming Mars. Now, this was $70 full retail. Now, since Anthony's gone off and moved away, we needed two copies. So this was $140 plus no promos, which was kind of a bummer, to be honest with you. And while I was happy to pick this up, it was a game that did not get to my table immediately, in part because the rulebook... Really wasn't very thoughtfully put together. It was a little distracting when you were reading through some of the steps and it wasn't explaining things, but you would find them out in later pages. But because they were in later pages, you really weren't sure what to do just to kind of get through those first steps. So uh, the rule book had some bunch of problems with it. And to be honest with you, the components had some problems. First off, the box cover started sagging almost immediately even though I took pristine care of the game to get it home and to get it on my shelf. And I think this has been a common problem for for most people who have this game. And this is a game that's been produced in America, the USA, which is nice because, you know, I support, you know, made in the USA products, but at the same time, at least in board gaming, It's kind of been a mark of poor quality, and I think we see that here, not just with the box itself, but the way I found the game, several components in the game were either mismarked, chipped, uh, missing pieces of paint here and there, and I think for the cubes that come in the game, which while they are beautiful, for a $70 price tag, I really wish that the cubes had some, either, either were really metallic or had some weight to them. They're just these really kind of cheap plastic cubes, painted nicely, although, as I said, chipped and mispainted. But, you know, the game really misses out on, you know, upgrading the components, especially at that price point. Now, as I said, the rulebook was a bit of a problem. The components was a bit of a problem. I've done a basic gameplay of this game and really did enjoy it. I haven't gotten out with a full cast of characters yet to really see how the game really shines. But this is definitely one of the probably the top games of the year from what I'm hearing. So by our next episode, I will personally have a full review for you. I know Anthony really did enjoy the game. And once I'm able to kind of put the game in a secure situation, you know, as far as sleeving all the cards, because the cards are black on the back, which means that they are going to chip, they're going to dent, and they're not a great quality. And once I kind of dig through that rule book yet again, so I'm at the point where I could teach this, I'm getting to the table because I've been getting very nice, sweet threats of me, because, you know, I came back from Gen Con, I'm like, I got Terraforming Mars, you're like, great, let's get to the table, I'm like, I can't get to it yet. So people have been quite upset, so with great game purchases come great responsibility, so uh, keep that in mind when you buy games, that unless you do have time to read through all the rules and be ready to teach it, it's probably not a great idea to let people know you have those Because they get very upset. All right, so another game that's on my Acquisition Disorder, and for good reason, is A Feast for Odin. Now, this is Uwe Rosenberg's newest game, and if you've even seen a picture of this game, you can understand the true meaning of Acquisition Disorder when you look at this. It's it's gigantic. This box is incredibly large. I think it's got to be by far his at least box-wise. It's, it's, I think it's larger than Converter. At least it feels that way. I don't own a copy yet. I've seen it played at my local game groups, and I haven't been able to jump in as of yet. But it's a game that I do want to play. It has an enormous number of pieces. Uh, Uwe Rosenberg is kind of thrown in every mechanic he's ever used into this game, including patchwork. So there's a lot of cardboard chips in here and it's a lot of building up resources and building up like your own personal building tableau in order to score victory points so uh it's huge i don't know where i'd fit this on the shelf i don't even know if it's necessarily necessary because i have pretty much all of his other games but at the same time i have all of his other games you know what i mean by that right so I probably need to pick this one up too because, once again, acquisition disorder, right? So, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing this. Hopefully, by our next episode, I'll have a play and let you know. I've heard lukewarm things about the game. I heard it's good but kind of fiddly and a little clunky in places. So, I might play before I buy. But if I do see a sale online, I might just go ahead and pick it up. Now, speaking about gigantic games... A game that we talked about a couple of times and something that's kind of has its own mystique, if not complete paranoia pandemonium about it, is Kingdom Death Monster. Now, you may remember this Kickstarter just kind of blowing out the walls with the amount of money it made, and it's outstanding miniatures, and it's surprisingly high level of gameplay and artistry. Well, they're running the Kickstarter again. It's Kingdom Death Monster 1.5, and they're already at $5 million. Now, this game is not going to be released for a couple of years, at least this reprint version of it. But at the very least, what it should do is lower the price of the original Kickstarter that was out there. I know I for about five seconds, I had the game in my hands and was about to shell out about $200, which at the time was... Very reasonable considering I think it was going for about $400. And I'm not a miniatures guy. I don't like to put things together, to be honest with you. I don't really have the time to do so. But everything I read about this game, when I reviewed this game, I went in depth with this game. And it seems like one of those kind of like deep and rich psychological horror thrillers that kind of puts Cthulhu to shame. And... It was something that I felt like, at the very least, I just needed to add it to my collection. So once again, insane acquisition disorder, right? So wasn't able to get the game. I had a friend of mine. He was going to sell it to me. But I said, look, if you think you can get $400, at the time he thought he could get $1,600, which I thought was a little much. But um, I said, go ahead and sell it. I don't know actually what he ended up doing with it. But if you do want Kingdom Death Monster, and you do want to explore this imaginative, horrifying yet beautiful mythology that they put together. It's it's definitely worth your time looking at the Kickstarter page. And if I may, I'm gonna go back to my old review and I'm gonna say kick this off because I think you do get the money's worth here. And I think this is one of those unique type of games that Maybe just like me, even if you don't get this to the table very often, or maybe just once or twice, I think it's well worth it. So those are my acquisition disorders, and honestly, they're more than enough for this episode. Hopefully your acquisition disorders aren't as bad as mine. And now, At the Table with BGA. Okay, now my favorite part of the show, games that actually hit the table. Now, if you listen to the last couple episodes, you know that the games that have been hitting my table have been of the lighter variety. And I've really been looking forward to getting some solid, heavy, chunky games to the table. And thanks to my friend Jay at at one of our local meetups, that's been happening. So I want to rattle off 17 games that I've been getting to the table. And I want to let you know if those games are worth the buy. and You should go out and pick those up. If they're worth just a play, maybe just play it once and kind of move on. Or if the game's a dodge, and you know what, to be honest, we only have so much time in a day and this game just doesn't meet it. Or if the game is a dreaded burn and it's more of an experience than it is a game, so avoid at all costs. So, with that said, let's get on to these games. All right, so to start off, I got a chance to play Orleans, the Deluxe Edition. Now, I've reviewed this before, I've talked about this game before. But I want to give an updated review for this game because Orleans is fascinating. What you're doing in this game is you're taking actions to get additional tokens that goes into a bag, and then you draft or pull those tokens out, which then allow you to take other actions. Now, the actions on your player board require certain colors of these tokens to activate. So you really do have to draw correctly, and just like any deck-building game, You gotta know when to build your bag and when to thin your bag out. I finally come to a point where I feel like I'm kind of done with Orleans. And in particular, because I feel like there's only really one or two viable strategies for victory. And I think typically, if people at the game table are smart, they're going these ways. Because everything else, while it's decent and kind of fun... I feel like it's not necessary. That knowledge track, picking up those gray tokens in order to move down that track, which is a multiplier at the end of the game, is really what's going to win you this game. Now, recently, I took a different path by going across the board, picking up cities on the river, and then using one of the, I think, the vineyard in order to be able to move up that same knowledge track in order to score victory points. Now, however you go about playing this game, you're going to have some decent fun. But for me personally, this game now just rates a play. I don't think that there really isn't anything that's going to pull me back to the table. And at this point, it's pretty much a play, if not a dodge. I, I feel like... There's a strategy for winning, or there's a couple of best ways to play, and that's about it. Now, I've had this discussion with someone at the game group, and he said, well, you know, that's kind of true, but if other people know that, they could kind of fight for those areas. I'm like, yes, but if that's the way to win the game, and if some reason that way shut down, it's not going to really feel fun scraping by for a couple of points to for second place. And this game really does take advantage of that first player situation because if they're able to jump to certain areas and pick up certain technologies, you're kind of left behind and it's kind of a slow if not boring game at that point. So Orleans moves from a play to a possible dodge in certain circumstances because I just think the game is done, although very beautiful, very smart. Haven't played the expansion yet, maybe that brings me back to the table, but at this point, I'm kind of waving it off. All right, so I've been talking about this game for quite some time as far as an acquisition disorder, and only now I've been able to get it to the table, and that's CV. Now, this is a lighter game in which you are building a CV, or kind of a resume, a life history of your accomplishments. So this is more along the lines of a gateway game, something you might play with families or just like gamer friends. And... Basically, what I really enjoyed about this game when I saw it was the fact that, well, first off, CVs and resumes is part of my profession, but (laughs) beyond that, great artwork, cutesy, artistic, smart, funny artwork, but also an interesting tableau mechanic where you're starting with some childhood cards that gives you special abilities and gives you life moments, like getting a bicycle, right? doesn't seem too big, but when you look at young adulthood, the bicycle might give you an ability to take up running because you were healthy and athletic as a child, so it's easier and simpler because by playing that early card, you will be able to have a token that will actually get you other cards, other life accomplishments that will get you other tokens to move further along the line. So bicycle moves to, to health, that moves to running, that moves to a healthy lifestyle, healthy eating, and scores you additional, additional, additional victory points. Same thing is true about money, and same thing is true about success and jobs. So I really enjoy the way in which this tableau mechanic kind of builds up. Now, it doesn't just build up by putting cards on the table in front of you, but they layer over cards. So If you had an internship, that's going to lead to a job. So you're no longer getting the benefit of the internship, but you are getting the benefit of that job. Now, here's the fun part. When you're rolling dice that will give you extra token kind of faces to be able to purchase other things, there is also good luck and bad luck, right? Just like in any life. If you get three unhappy faces or bad luck, you will actually lose a card or a life event in your tableau. So you could lose that new job you got, which now moves you back to the internship which you had, which is totally thematic. So the game has a lot of theme and not just in the look and the art, but also in the way it plays. That's what I really do enjoy about theme. The fact that even if you don't look at the rulebook, you probably could figure it out anyway and you are actively playing out the theme in the mechanics. Now, because this game is light and because after my third gameplay, I was getting a little bored of seeing the same cards over and over again, I'm going to say that CV is a play. I definitely recommend playing it so you can experience this kind of life-building game. But beyond that, it doesn't really have enough cards or enough heavy gameplay to kind of keep your interest for the long term. Now there is an expansion for it called Gossip that adds an additional mechanic and I will at some point maybe either get that gate to the game table or pick it up because I did pick up CV for the family and the family really did enjoy it. So this might come back to the game table, but it's at the least a play and if if the expansion doesn't work out, then it might eventually be a dodge. Now another game, a little bit of an older game that I got a chance to play is called Blueprints. Now, this is another dice-rolling game, but in this case, what happens in this game is you're building a building on a little blueprint card that you get in front of you, and the dice that are rolled in this game represent different materials. So, you roll the dice, and then you choose a die to place on your blueprint. Now, each of the materials score differently. So, you have green dice for recyclable material, so the more recyclable material, no matter what the dice face is, scores you points. If you pick up the glass dice, which are these clear dice, then the face that's showing on top is what scores you that point. Or if you pick up the black dice, and these are the stone dice, the higher it up it is on your building, the more points it scores. Or if it's the orange dice and you're building with wood, that the more orange dice that are either next to each other or the more dice that are next to the orange dice around it scores you additional victory points. So it has some theme, you're building this little building, you are pulling the dice, throwing another die out there, it's a fun, it's a quick game. I picked this up as a Barnes & Noble kind of special red ticket sale, and I gotta say, it's actually, you know, worth worthy of a play. If not a buy, if you could pick it up on sale. I really do enjoy this game, and I think it's something that you should keep your eye out for. Now, another game that I've had in the closet for quite some time is Memoir 44. The Days of Wonder two-player World War II game where you're using the command and color system to pick a card which allows you to move your tanks and your soldiers on the field depending on where they are located. Now, if you played Battle Lore or any of the other command and color systems, you know about Memoir 44 and you probably have already gotten into the table. So I'm a little late because typically, to be honest with you, I don't get two-player games to the table often. I don't tend to have somebody who's a heavy gamer that isn't since since Anthony left. So I really got to find somebody in a unique situation who wants to sit down and play like a two-hour game that's just two-player while everybody else is like, hey, hey, can I play? No, it's just a two-player game. Yeah, but it's pretty big game. Like, ah, sorry, it's just a two-player game. Now, there are expansions, and you can play Memoir 44 for a, with a lot of people, but it still boils down to a two-player game. Now, I already played the Battle Lore 2.0 system, and I really did enjoy this. Now, Memoir 44 is you a know, predecessor, so it doesn't have that additional lore situation where... You're building up for these special cards. You just kind of get the special cards when you draft cards when you pick up cards at the beginning of the game. Got to play this game. Got it to the table. Got to play one of the scenarios with my friend Dave. Really did enjoy this game. Glad I picked it up. Uh, Going to pick up some of the expansions. Not going to go too crazy. Going to pick up some more maps. Going to pick up the Mediterranean and maybe the Russian theater. So I have some more troops to play with. Different troops. And uh, I'm going to say this game's a play. I don't know how often you get two-player games to the table. For me, it's not very often. But the fact that you get to play with these plastic soldiers, like like when I was a kid, to actually get those to the table is a lot of fun. It's a it's a you know fairly inexpensive game, and it since it's been out for so long, you can pick this game up anywhere on sale, guaranteed. So. I'm going to recommend a buy for Memoir 44. That is, if you do have a two-player gamer friend who likes little, you know, green plastic army soldier guys. Now, another two-player game that I really did enjoy is Pagoda. Now, this is really fun and interesting because I got to play this with family, and they were really engaged with this. Now, in this game, you are picking up cards that will allow you to build little pillars and then floors in these Pagodas. Now, when you build a floor... It's And remember, this is like a 3D structure, so it's real pillars, real floors, well, not like a floor you stand on, but little tiny little uh, cards that you kind of place on top of the pillars. You'll be able to activate a special ability that will actually get you more pillars, you can build more, score you additional points. And in this game, it's a little bit like when you were a kid and you were playing that that game on a piece of uh, loose-leaf paper with the boxes, where... You want to be able to finish the box, but you have to put a line down so the other person might be able to finish the box. Same thing here. So you want to build enough that you could build the floors, which is scoring you a lot of points, but you don't want to put your opponent in a position where they can score that floor. So it's a lot of back and forth. It's a very colorful game. It's an interesting game because, as I said, you're building these little pagodas on the table. Once again... Picked this up on Barnes & Noble on sale. Two-player game. Was happy to pick it up. If you could pick it up on sale, like I said with the blueprints, I definitely recommend it as a two-player game. It's probably not going to hold your attention far beyond that because once I said it is a gateway game, it is for families, it is for a light gamer kind of sect, but, but it is a good game. So uh, if you can pick it up on sale, I, I recommend it as a buy. Now, another game which a lot of people have been talking about, especially since it won the Spiel des Jahres, is Emotep. Now, this was a game that we saw Origins this past year, but the copies were flying out of the store. Now, I've gotten to play Emotep a couple of times now, and i got to say, I really do enjoy this game. It's a good game. It's a solid game. Extremely well produced. uh, Plays a number of people. I think it plays up to four people in this game. And what's interesting is the actions you take are very simple. You're either going to take stones, you're going to place stones, you're going to move the boats, or I guess you could play a card, depending if you have a card at 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 that point. So, placing the cubes or placing the stones on the ships kind of builds the ships up so that they can move to the different build areas and then build pyramids or obelisks. And depending on where the boats move, they're going to unload their stones in a particular way that are going to score you points. And then at the end of the game, you know, whoever has the most victory points wins. Now, some of the areas score every round and some score only at the end. So you have to be really careful about what you're building or where you're sending your ships. Not to mention the fact that your opponent can send your ship with your – actually, it's not your ship, but it's your ship with your stones on it to where they want it to go. So you got to be very careful. It's a little tricky. It's a fun game. It's another one of these games that has a ridiculously large box for absolutely no particular reason. And for our friend Anthony out there, one of our gamer friends, the inside of the box drives him nuts because it has all these kind of odd triangles on the inside and this huge area to put all the components for no particular reason. This game for me is a play. Uh, you know, I've went back and forth, I've seen some of the sales, and I probably could get this game for about 20 or so, dollars. and I guess I probably will buy this game at some point, because it's a solid game, it's a solid gateway game, but at this point, it's just too ordinary to recommend to buy. I think you have games that are kind of like this, and it really doesn't engage the attention for very long, so a solid, solid play, maybe a buy if you can get a good deal on this game, I don't think you'll be disappointed either way, but I think that uh, it just needs a little more, I'm not sure what that is, maybe we'll see an expansion at some point, kind of, you know, enrich the gameplay, but a play, maybe a buy if you can get it on sale. Another fun game that I was able to get to the table that uh, has been out for quite some time is Biblios. Now, this is an auction game in which you are picking up different color sets, and at the end of the game, once all the cards are out, including the sets of colored cards, including the money cards, and a couple of cards that kind of activate in different ways to kind of adjust the market of those cards, then you see who has the largest pile of those particular colors, you take a look at the dice that are on the board that represent the different colors, and you score points for that. Now, it's a very fun, fast auction game that's been around for a while. I've heard very good things about it. I've enjoyed it. I've heard Biblio Dice is better, which I have not played yet, so I'm looking forward to playing that. I would say Biblios as a game is probably worth a play, maybe a dodge, just because... While it is a solid game, it is a very ordinary game. It is a very kind of simplistic game to the point of you really don't have to pay attention very much. Yes, maybe you want to keep a track on who's collecting what color. But you've seen this auction type of mechanic in other games with more games surrounding it. So I'm going to say if you have to, just because it is a kind of a classic game, play it but I'm going to say otherwise just dodge this game. Now, speaking of games that should be dodged if not burned <laughs> out of all sanity, and yet there is something that kind of moves beyond the burn, if there is such a thing, that would be Rattlebones. Now, Rattlebones is an amazing concept that probably all of us have thought about at one point or the other, which is I wonder if my wonder what would have happened if i could just change the dice face you know if i if there were some ways to stop rolling a one i would love that well rattle bones allows you to do that so what you're going to do in Rattlebones is you're going to roll a die move your character on the board land on a spot that's now going to allow you to pop off any one face on a die replace it with the spot that you landed on which now will give you a special ability so it could be score victory points it could be move the train, which will eventually score you victory points. It will score you stars. There's a gamble spot. There's a one through nine spot. There's just a lot of different spots. There's also a steal spot, which seems kind of odd, but there is a steal spot. There's a bond spot. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This game is terrible. This game is ridiculous. This game is absolutely positively a burn game. That being said... It is so bad and so ridiculous that it's like those worst movies, especially the horror movies that you've seen, that they're so bad they're actually good. I actually had fun with Rattle Bones. It's a terrible game. It's a horrible game. But you know what? When we played the game with my friend Jay and my other friend Jay, we could not stop laughing. Because of the just pure ridiculousness of just keep changing the die, rolling the die, getting victory points, (laughs) rolling the die, moving the rattle bones, rolling the die. It was so fast, so furious, and so silly, and so incredibly stupid of a game that had basically no game to it other than build up a die until it's really good enough for you to win the game. I can't believe I'm going to say this. This game is a burn, but it's an actual play. If you do see rattlebones Bones at the table, sit down, play with just one die. Don't go building up three dies. This game is not that long. Build up one great die. Pass if you don't like the face that you're going to build. And just enjoy the craziness that is this game And I think it's something that you will enjoy, strangely enough. Now, moving from crazy bad games to crazy incredible games is the Castles of Burgundy the Card Game. Now, you may remember my story from way back when when I was talking about Gen Con, I got into the Gen Con major exhibitors room early. The first game I went to was to the Castles of Burgundy the card game. Why? Because I'm a big Euro gamer. I love the Castles of Burgundy, I'm a huge Feld fan. And the idea that this was going to be a card game was something that was fascinating to me. It had been out earlier, but really did not get to the U.S. So I ran over there. I got there. There was nobody at the booth. Now, this was not specifically for this game, the booth, but they were demoing it. Time was running out because we only had that one hour. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And finally, I saw an area near the booth that they actually had two copies of the game. Now, at this point, it's, a, it's about a half hour into the one hour of time that we had allotted to us in order to meet with publishers and designers and get games. Now, there was only two copies of this game available, and I did not want to leave because I really wanted a copy of this game, but at some point, a half hour was more than enough, and I was going to miss out on everything else, and as I said earlier, I ran over to grab Terraforming Mars. So I put my name on the on the game. I said, please, can you hold a copy of this? I'll be right back. I came back. Turns out they were not selling the game. I could not get my hands on this game. And fast forward up until a couple of weeks ago. And once again, my friend Jay came through and we played the Castles of Burgundy, the card game, as a two-player game. And it, all it is is this deck of cards, very small cards. And you set it up just like you would do Castles and Burgundy. It has dice cards, cards with dice on it. You set up the different uh, little tiles you can buy, which are just cards in this game. Then you get a small deck of cards. Now, the cards themselves are interesting because they have a dice face on them. Plus, they have the tile that you would be placing. So, when you get the little deck in your hand, you're going to draw two. Not look not look at the deck, which we had a hard time doing, but not look at the deck. And those are your two dice. So you're going to play one and then take an action. So you can take a card from the lineup. You could take silver. You could take workers. You can kind of do a number of different things. But the game was so interesting because it played so quickly. Now, you're really going to score points in this game not just by shipping materials but by building sets. And when you build the sets up, you'll score the victory point for that set. So... That's important. Now, when you also build up the set before anyone else builds up the set, you'll score additional victory points for building that set first. Now, I only played this as a two-player game, but we played two games in quick succession. I enjoyed both these games and found out that this game is about $10 to $12, which is crazy because i got to be honest with you. I've played so many games this year, but the game that I really want to play right now more than anything is this game. For $10 to $12 to play a solid Euro game in a card game version, while it could be a little fiddly from times because of the table space, is amazing. I got the feeling of the Castles in Burgundy, minus you know the tile placement. But nonetheless, this game is outstanding. It's a buy by far. you got to pick this up. Another game that hit the table was Broom Service. Now, this was another Spiel des Jahres winner, and... Another game that I have and have not gotten a chance to play, so when someone got to this table, I was like, yes, I will play this game. Now, I have already played Witch's Brew, which is the earlier version of this game, but without the board, so I knew of this game. Now, basically, what you're doing in this game is you have a set of action cards, which everyone has identical cards, and on your turn, you are going to play a card. Now, this card you can either play as a Brave Action or... Or as a cowardly action. Now, if you play as a brave action, you'll announce to the table that you're taking as a brave action, which will then allow you to do two things. Gives you kind of a bonus thing in comparison to the cowardly action, which just gives you one thing. Now, if nobody else plays that card, and they have to play that card if you play a card, because you're basically kind of like leading a trick, if no one else has played that card, you get to do both of those actions, now, if someone else plays a card that's obviously the same one you played, you don't get to do anything, so it's kind of a waste. So it's a little bit of a gambling situation. And it really depends on if you're playing first or you're playing last. If you do take the Cowardly action, you get to do a simple action on the board. So basically, what you're doing is you're moving your witches around to pick up potions, deliver potions, use your magic to destroy clouds. And score victory points, as any good Euro game is. The game is fun. I really did enjoy the game. I'll I'll be honest with you. What was interesting and yet challenging about the game was the fact that we didn't have a full player complement. So we had to play with this situation where, where a spell was cursed each round. So that really kind of limited the fun down. Now that's done because... Since you don't have the full player count, there would be cards that would be played out that would really knock down your brave action. So it makes sense, and yet at the same time, because there were special conditions that scored you points or hurt you, having that cursed card out there put me in a couple of different positions where I couldn't do anything at all. Plus, there were certain spots on the board where you could just score a large number of victory points Without really doing anything, you just played a card, you dropped off a potion. You picked up a potion, you dropped off a potion. Without even moving, it was just some spots were just better than others. So this game is worthy of a play, just to say that you played it and you've kind of enjoyed the programming. If you do enjoy programming, you know, some people more than others. But nonetheless, I enjoyed this game. I don't recommend purchasing the game and I could definitely see you dodging the game either after you play it once or maybe ne- never play it at all just because your best lay plans kind of get blown out the window because the player before or after you plays in a certain way that kind of throws you off or because a negative card is keeping you away from doing what you want to do. Otherwise, it's decent, but just in a very, very basic type of way. Another game that I got to the table was Hansa Teutonica. Now, this is a heavier game, and if you haven't got a chance to play it before, it's probably because it's very dry-looking. It seems like a massive number of things to do, but basically what you're going to do is work off your little player board to unlock additional abilities to place cubes on the board, to place little cylinders on the board that is going to capture you areas. So when other players use those areas, it's going to put you in the position to score additional victory points. And then you're going to build up those areas and build up a chain of connections that are going to score you points based upon final scoring. So once again, big board, placing cubes, locking down areas, and by locking down areas, you're opening up new areas on your own player board, which scores you additional victory points, gives you additional actions. It is dry. It is themeless. And I've already talked about this game before. But honestly, just like I talked about earlier in the episode about Acquire being that dry, dry game that once you are forced to play, you'll enjoy it. Hanza Teutonica is the same thing. You get it to the table. You're forced to sit down to play it. And once you do, you do enjoy the game. I enjoyed it. Um, It's crunchy, it's dry, but it's a good type of crunchy dry. It's worthy of a play. Once again, if just maybe once, so you can kind of say you played it. And then maybe if you're dragged to play it again, you'll enjoy it again. But definitely not on your buy list. A newer game that I got to play recently on the heavy Euro side was Nippon. Now, what's really interesting about this game in which you're building up machinery in order to transform products, to kind of corner the market, to control different areas of the board, was the fact that it has this really interesting mechanic where you're going to select a worker. Now, depending on where you select the worker on the board, you will activate a certain ability. Fun, right? Now, here's the kind of interesting part. You're going to have to pay for those workers that you activated at the end of the round. And money is really tight in this game. But don't worry. If you select the same type of color, you only have to pay for that one type of color. So if I pick three red meeples, then what I'm going to be able to do is only pay once, even though I have three red meeples on my board. Now, This game has a lot of different kind of slap-together little mechanics where you can sell to an open market or you can sell to a local market. It's fine. It's a fine game. It's it's an interesting, it's an engaging game. Once again, it's a themeless Euro as far as I'm concerned. I do like the meeple color mechanic because I think that's something different that we haven't seen before. And it really forces you to think about planning strategies for the future as you're watching the meeples come down this market and kind of enter onto the board. I did enjoy the game. I I think it's fairly easy to pick up once you get a round or two in. Once again, this game is worth the play. I don't think this is a game that is necessarily worth the buy because I don't see it hitting the table very often. It doesn't offer anything so dramatic or so different that you're going to want to see this game. But once you play it, I think it's it's something that you'll be glad that you did. But beyond that, I think that's about it. A new game that just came out on Kickstarter that got a chance of playing was Lunatex. Or Luna Architects is probably a better way to say it because they kind of scrunched the word together. But basically, it's being an architect on the moon. And you're building up using these different components in order to build a little civilization on the moon. Now... If you've ever played Glenmore, then you've basically played this game because pretty much all of the mechanics are here. It's definitely slightly colorful than, you know, Glenmore. It's a little more engaging, a little more interaction, uh, but it's basically the same type of game. So you're putting these hexes on a marketplace in which you'll be able to take them onto your board. And depending on how they kind of link together you'll be able to score points by generating resources and then moving those resources around on your board in order to sell off those resources, but only if they're connected in the right way. Now, we've talked about Glenmore Light, and we really do enjoy Glenmore. Lunatics, I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. I don't know which one is particularly better. I guess if you're looking for a little more of a polish— If you're looking for something that's a little more approachable, and Glenmore is out of print anyway, I think Little Architects does meet that requirement. So I would say this game is worth a play. It doesn't seem to have the lasting power that most new games do have, because if you're going to have this kind of facelift for the game... I would think that it would just kind of blow out Glenmore and you would never think about that game again. But playing this game, I almost wanted to play Glenmore again instead of this game. So once again, a solid play. I don't recommend a buy necessarily on this game, but it's not a bad game. If you do have Glenmore already, you don't have to pick this up. Uh, But if you do want to pick something up that is kind of a little bit of that suburbia mechanic where you're putting these pieces together in order to kind of engage resources and to score victory points it's it's recommended just as far as a play is concerned so we talked about earlier huge kickstarters and we talked about scythe in particular so before we talked about the real-time strategy video game let me talk about scythe the board game now anthony already has done a full review on this and we've talked about this to no end i finally was able to get this to the table because once again huge game big rule book kind of chunky. But honestly, not as heavy as you would think it would be. So with Scythe, you're going to get a really interesting gameplay because you are going to get a player board and you are going to get a kind of like character activation board where your mechs are going to be. And throughout the game, if you would like, because there's a lot of ways to victory in this game, if you remove the mechs and put them on the board, you'll, you'll activate special abilities that's going to benefit you. Now, each player's setup is going to be different, and they're randomized, so you could have multiple different setups over multiple different plays. But basically, the idea, and we talked about this, is kind of a little Terramistic-ish, if that was such a word, in which you are going to uh, gain resources in order to kind of build up your machine. So in the beginning of the game, you're going to have cubes up top, that you really want to be able to move on the bottom or move off the board completely in order to engage machinery that's going to be able to help you expand, explore, exterminate, and, uh, you know, kind of conquer different areas. Now, this game does employ a lot of other Stonemeyer games mechanics in which... You are trying to gain stars to go up multiple tracks and depending on where you are on one track, multiplier times the other track, you're going to score points. Now, I was really worried about this game because I thought I was going to be really disappointed. Now, I wasn't. This game was truly interactive. You could play purely kind of by yourself. You can kind of make this a real kind of Euro Uh, machine building, kind of producing mechanic. You could engage in some a little bit of a warfare, but it's not really warfare so much as it is I jumped over to an area where you didn't have a mech and I'm just going to claim all of your resources. So, ha? So, um, I know some of my heavy Euro friends were kind of concerned about this game because they were saying, I don't know, I, I, I don't like anything with miniatures. And then I had some of my friends who were miniature war gamers who were like... Nope, I don't know. I don't like my peanut butter with the chocolate, so... But nonetheless, you got the miniatures. They play like more like Euro pieces than they do like miniatures. But nonetheless, maybe your miniature players will kind of get dragged along because they see the great artwork. They see the great miniatures. Uh, the gameplay is interesting because you're exploring, you're expanding, you're building. And for me personally, as a hardcore Euro gamer... I really did like building up my little personal machine. Now, I do think that the game went a little too long because at a certain point, my own personal machine was built as as much as it could be. And everyone was kind of really defensively placed and kind of holding their spot where if you did attack, you're only going to lower your kind of popularity. So that's not the greatest situation. So... I strongly recommend Scythe because it does engage so many different types of gamers. The production level is off the chart. It's different every time because of the combinations you're going to get. It does have an expansion. It's not needed for this game. It's just two more factions that will allow you to kind of build out your gameplay. I wouldn't recommend playing this with the full complement and especially with the full expansion complement because at certain points, the game does bog down a little bit. But it is really a fun, interesting Euro game. Definitely worthy of its place in Kickstarter history. It's worth the buy. So on the lighter side, thanks to my friend Howard and his son Zach, I got a chance to play Thief's Market. Now, Thief's Market is a really quick, fast, dice rolling game. In which, once the dice are rolled, you are going to have an opportunity to select from that dice pool, which materials you want and what special abilities sometimes that come along with those dice in order to purchase activation cards that are going to kind of build you a little bit of a tableau to kind of multiply victory points towards the end of the game. Now, what's really interesting about this game is it has that I cut and you select which part of that cut you really want. So I might pull all of the best... Dice into one little pile and take that for myself, but now you, as the next player, get to choose what's left over, or you can choose my dice pool minus one die. So I may not want to pick something that's so extremely valuable because I'll never be able to hold on to it, but nonetheless, it's a back and forth situation where now that person took those dice, the next person goes, they could choose those dice. Or they could choose the one in the middle. Now, every time someone chooses a dice pool that someone has picked, they get to take a die away from that, re roll it, and add it to the general pile in the middle. So, eventually, even though everyone's pulling the best, eventually the middle be- does become the best. So, it's a little bit of a press your luck situation or on, as far as this auction's going on. So, you gotta pick your moments and then go for certain colors that will put you in a best position to win this game. Now, I enjoyed this game. I would say that it's probably a dodge, though, just because I think it does need the full player count. If you don't have the fuller player count, I'm going to say dodge the game, just because you're not playing with the full set of cards. And you really do need to play with the full set of cards because some cards only benefit off other cards. So if you don't have all of those cards in the game and available for purchase then you really honestly are missing out on building your tableau to the best of its ability. But you won't know that because those cards have been randomly taken out. So fun, quick, a dodge if you don't have the full complement, a play if you do. But otherwise, this market, eh, roll and move on. And speaking of light games, the final game I want to talk about, or not talk about, is Joking Hazard. Now, Joking Hazard... Is another game in the long line of Cards Against Humanity's Cards Against Humanity clones, in which you will be taking a card, playing a card to add to a joke, and then the judge makes a decision if your joke is good. Now, what makes this game a buy or a play for you, or dodge or burn, all comes down to if you enjoy the web comic of Cyanide and Happiness. It's basically the stick figure drawings that are very crude. And sometimes funny. Sometimes actually really funny. They're really dark, but sometimes really funny. So if that dark humor comic art does it for you, it's probably worth the play. But honestly, it's just Cards Against Humanity. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, For me, I played it. It's a dodge, if not a burn. But the webcomic is so good that I'm just going to leave it in the dodge area and just walk away quietly. But otherwise, eh, that's joking hazard. Uh, A solid dodge, if there ever was such a thing. All right, so that's everything that's hitting our table from BGA. And don't forget, let us know what's hitting your table. And hopefully there was something there that might be of interest. And now BGA's feature review. Ah, so it is that time of season When everyone gathers at the table, whether it's family or friends or even those relatives that typically you avoid, but because it's the holiday season, it's okay if they join us at the table. So now, being that we're all gathering around that giant table... Why not drop a couple games on there? Now, there are certain games that are better for certain players, and, you know, some are lighter and some are heavier, and some are looking for something quirky and interesting. So what we have for you in our feature review is BGA's 2016 shopping list. We're going to give you the best, or at least the 25 best games that fit particular people, particular gamers that are coming together at your table, because it's this time of year that we celebrate and join together together. And we also have a lot of days off, and there's also some great sales out there, so let's put them all together and enjoy that time. So, here we go. In no particular order, but keep in mind that these games are probably best for a certain group of people, and if you're going to pick them up as a gift, be sure that they're the right gift, because, you know, it either lands well or doesn't land at all. So, to start off, we're going to start some pretty heavy. So, If you have some heavy gamers that are looking for something chunky and crunchy, then I gotta recommend Arkwright. But once again, it's only for the heavy gamer set. This game is fiddly as can be, it has a ton of tokens ton of little meeples that are on the board and in fact our friends at meeple realty actually make a holder that sets up and breaks down this game in a really great way and i highly recommend that so for your heavy heavy euro game player Arkwright is the right way to go now, for your Euro gamer who's looking for something quick or if you're purchasing a game on a budget or trying to bring someone into the Euro game market, I highly recommend the Castles of Burgundy, the card game. I already talked about this. This is going to be one of my best games of the year because it does everything right at a ridiculously obscene, low price point. Don't pick up one copy. Pick up five. You're going to be giving this out to everybody. You're going to be playing the heck out of this game. Pick up The Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Now, if you're looking some, for something on the lighter side, something for family or friends, something that you want to give as a gift, I would recommend Celestia. It's pretty much a very light version of Cloud 9. It's basically the same game. It's a press-your-luck game where you're jumping on this balloon to go across the sky and score victory points, as long as you think that things will go well for you. It's This version is beautiful. It's a good gift game for kids and for, I guess, family or friends who are not gamers. Now, going back to our Euro area, if you have somebody who's just into Euro games, maybe not something super heavy, but something nice and fun to play, Haspel Neck. This is the coal mining game that we talked about several episodes back right around Gen Con. It's a nice... Worker placement game, but it's not too heavy. It's not too light. It's just right kind of thing. Um, I really enjoy this game. And uh, if you're looking to buy me a gift, you can pick this up for me. (laughs) All right. So, going back to a lighter area where you're getting gamers engaged. Now, this is a game that's probably for your lighter game area, but maybe they're thinking about the heavier games a little bit and you're looking for a good gateway game that's going to play well with everyone. Emotep, right? We talked about this earlier. It's a solid next-gen gateway game. You're going to pick this up on sale pretty much everywhere around the $20 to $25 way. So, you know, you can't go wrong with this game. It's solid, plays for everybody, Emotep. Now, another surprisingly fun game that's going to play with family and also with gamers, although it'll take a little coaxing, is Karuba. Now, this was a nominee for the Spiel des Jahres, and basically, at first, it looks like you're only playing a game by yourself, and it seems a little odd as you're you're picking up these kind of chits to be able to move your your players to get their uh, rewards. But nonetheless, it's fun, it's interesting, it's gauging, plays well with families, plays well with gamer friends. On the lighter side, it's a lot of fun, Karuba. Now, if you're looking for something, once again, that's quick playing, but in the Euro family, that's the Manhattan Project Chain Reaction. This, once again, is a small, single-deck card game. Not as good as the Castles of Burgundy, the card game, but it does give you some feel for the Manhattan Project. So, if you wanted to get some light Euro gamers into the finally heavier versions of the game, this is probably a good way to kind of get them involved. The next game in order to kind of gain new gamers to the table especially when you know it's there is a barrier of entry so one way to kind of break down that barrier entry that i would highly recommend is potion explosion now you probably have a family member that's really into candy crush well here is a board game version of candy crush it's all about the gimmick of, of these little marbles kind of bouncing down. You pick which ones you want and they kind of crash together, and that allows you to pick up more marbles to place on these little potion bottles. This is from Cool Mini or Not. It's a beautiful production. It's fun. It's interesting. It's not going to engage any of your heavier gamers, but this is definitely a great gift game for other people. I talked about this earlier Scythe. Man, I can't believe that we finally get this game in our hands. We've been talking about this game for so long. This is for your solid Euro game area. If you're giving this as a gift, you're probably giving it to yourself because it's a little bit on the high end as far as expense is concerned. But you can pretty much find this game anywhere. If you haven't picked it up through the Kickstarter, I highly recommend picking up the Kickstarter components if you can. It's definitely worth the price. You're going to enjoy this game. It's probably Stone best game at this point. Next game is Via Nebula. Now this game is probably lighter on your heavier gamer friend version who plays 18 double uh, X games, but it's kind of like engaging enough that you can kind of cross those railway gamers and those Euro gamers together and maybe just possibly bring in a light gamer because the game is so colorful. You are sharing the map to being able to reach certain conditions and it really does engage a lot of players. I highly recommend Via Nebula. All right, so If you do have those gamers that uh, want to play a game over multiple versions, like to rip up those cards, and are looking for the legacy mechanic, Seafall is out there and available. Now, this game hasn't gotten the best reviews, and it's already on discount practically everywhere, but this game is solid enough, and Rob Davio has put enough blood, sweat, and tears in this game that if you can find this in the clearance area, it's definitely worth the play if you can get the group together. Now, another game that's only pure for these thematic gamers who like this universe is Bloodborne, the card game. Now, it's not one of those games that you want to introduce to a new gamer, and it's not one of those games that you want to introduce to a Euro gamer. But if someone likes that universe, it's, it's okay, and it's an Eric Lang game, so uh, it's going to get you through the day. But just listen for the Bloodborne theme. If they're not into that, avoid the game. Now, another interesting game that's going to invite everyone to the table who are looking for asymmetrical gameplay is Vast, the Crystal Caverns. Because in this game, you are going to play a dragon, you're going to play the knight, you're going to play the actual cavern. So there's a lot of different roles you can play that plays very differently. So if you have a gamer on your list who's kind of played it all before and doesn't see anything new or just really wants different game experiences, this is the perfect game for them because each and every time they can play a different type of character, and I think there's about five or six different ones here, and it's currently on Kickstarter, so you can actually pick up the game with miniatures, although it will take some time to get to your house, but it's a really interesting idea, and uh, it plays pretty well. All right, so let's say you have a large group of people together or you want to get a family to actually game, but sometimes it's hard to get a game that's going to play everybody. How about Captain Sonar? It plays eight players. Just try to find another game that plays eight players. Well, maybe Seven Wonders if you kind of play those uh, teams together, but honestly, Captain Sonar, fun, light, really interactive, I recommend the turn play versus the real-time one. While the real-time version of this game is a little more frantic, you're going to kind of lose players along the way. So Captain Sonar for your light gamer friends who like to play those party games, but you want to bring them into something just a tiny bit, a little bit heavy. Next up, for your Star Trek fans out there who are looking for a really engaging, powerful game in which you're building up a civilization across the stars that plays very thematically for that race. Uh, I highly recommend Star Trek Ascendancy. We've already talked about this. We played this at Gen Con. It has a multitude of races that you can play. Each of them do play slightly differently in the game, but just play differently enough that you can have a different gameplay experience. I'm going to say this is purely for the Star Trek fans. While it will engage some heavy Euro game fans, it just plays a little too long and it just plays a little too thematic to, you know, keep their interests. So if you have a Star Trek fan, play this game. If you have a Twilight Imperium fan, play this game. Uh, Forbidden Stars fan, maybe play this game. But otherwise, it's purely a Star Trek, you know, game fan. All right. For your Cthulhu fans out there, and I know you guys are out there and you're insane at this point, so let me let you buy another game. So, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Now, I have yet to play this game. I've seen this game. Anthony has played this game. He's gone insane and actually likes this game despite not liking Cthulhu, so that's a pretty high-level recommendation from somebody who's not interested or involved in that universe. Uh, It plays great, from what I hear, and... If you are in that universe or if you do like highly thematic games that involve some sort of computer or app play or if you do have the first version and you were wondering if this is plays great, it does play great. Check out Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. All right. What if you like programming? What if you like games that are just purely Ameritrash but you want to get those guys into something a little bit more engaging? Well, Boys and girls, this would be the game for you. That's the Dragon and Flagon. This is a programming game where you have a unique character, which is fun. I love unique characters. And you're setting up just to kind of a, have a barroom brawl fight. You pick up a chair. You decide to throw it. Hope someone's in the way. You hit them with a the chair, and that's fun. Or you climb to the top, and you swing off the chandelier, and you knock somebody down. Plus, there's magic. So you can't really go wrong with that. So if you have those gamers that you're just kind of pulling along the way and you want to show them something cute and fun, but something a little bit engaging, the Dragon and Flagon is a nice place to start. Now, the next game is for your Euro gamers who really are solidly ingrained in the Euro game mechanics. And if you're looking for a little bit of a different theme, Terraforming Mars. Now, I talked about this earlier. I got some early game plays. Anthony really loves this game. It's gotten great reviews. The production quality is a little poor and the expense is a little high, but it's very unique as far as the game is concerned. It has that the cards are so extremely valuable and they have to meet certain conditions in order to play them. So that's a part. You have some area control in the game and you're benefiting how things are played out. Terraforming Mars, outstanding game. You definitely want to pick this up. Now, going back to the kind of scary horror heavy miniatures game you can't do any better than this the others seven sins now this is another cool mini or not game that's really going to engage you if you like that kind of almost grotesque horror beautiful miniature kind of quality here it's basically one versus many where the good guys are finding the horror that's kind of spreading uh throughout the city this is one of the gigantic kickstarters so if you're going to pick this up i would say start with the base game See if the people like this game, and then they can always pick up the later expansions. Next game, you do have those gamers who do like Werewolf. I hate to say it, but they are out there. Well, why not engage them in a better version of Werewolf with Salem? Salem is a really interesting game because people are actually sitting at the table playing cards, adding just a little bit of strategy to the game and a little game mechanic that hopefully will drag them out of that werewolf universe into a werewolf-like but yet has some game mechanics in it and then you could sit happily and enjoy that game as well next up is a game that's only for light gamers now it's not as heavy as your um, love letter but it is still engaging and that would be three wishes we played this at gen con really did enjoy the game beautiful artwork quick gameplay extremely random, so for only for your light gamers, or for your family, or maybe even for young adults, or maybe even kids, I think, kind of play this game, all right, so let's go back to our heavy Euro gamers. we talked about this before, i really looking forward to this game, maybe I'll get it, maybe it has everything I have ever wanted, not too sure, but that's a feast for Odin, once again, Uwe Rosenberg's super big, throw every mechanic and the kitchen sink into the game, We hope, we think it's gotten some good reviews, and if you have an Uwe Rosenberg fan on your list, why wouldn't you pick this up for them? All right, now going to the opposite. A super ridiculously light game just really for kids, but is interesting in the way it plays, and basically what we're looking at here is Ice Cool. Now, this is going to be one of those little flicking games that you're going to play, And basically what's interesting about the game is the box and all the boxes inside of it makes up the game board. Kids are going to love this game. It's fun, it's cute, it's engaging for the kids and maybe a couple of family members. But otherwise, I would say avoid this for your adult or gamer games. Finally, the game that's really kind of caught my attention more than any other game and really kind of bright and colorful and engaging and with such a great pedigree is Ennis. This is the building the world by adding these kind of really beautiful tiles, playing cards to meet certain wind conditions. I saw this at Gen Con, couldn't keep my eyes off of it. It disappeared in a second. And if Santa Claus is listening, pick me up a, a copy of Ennis because I really can't wait to get the game to the table. So that is... Board Gamers Anonymous, Holiday Shopping List, 2016. I'm assuming, I'm sure that Santa would recommend these games for those gamers on that list. Please, pay attention to what I'm saying about which gamers fit these games best because not all of these games work well for everybody. But I do think that these games do cover the vast majority, if not all, of the gamers on your list. So that's everything for Board Gamers Anonymous 2016 holiday shopping list. We hope that this list provides you with the best of 2016 to meet the wide range of gamers out there. Whether they're light on the party game side or they're heavy on the crunchy Euro game side, we believe that one of these games would be perfect for them. And especially since they're Santa approved, we know that you will also love them. So, on behalf of everyone at Board Gamers Anonymous we hope that you have a wonderful and blessed holiday season with family and friends around the table playing outstanding games. All right, ready for the wrap-up? Get ready, here it comes. And until next time, this is Chris. And thank you all for joining me at the table.